Hey guys, here you are, Dan on top of all things commercial real estate. We've got a wonderful guest here in studio, a great friend, a colleague, Daniel Milmond. Hey Dan, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. So first of all, I'm happy to have you here. We've known each other for how long now? Maybe six years. Yeah, at least six years. It's been a, it's been a great time. We've done a lot of stuff together, had a, had a lot of fun. Daniel, I consider you a mentor, a friend, a family member, and I'm just I'm I'm blessed to have you here in the studio with us. Well, thank you, I appreciate that. Yeah, so I, I want to start. I want to jump right in because we got a lot of good stuff to cover. I want to ask you a question: Who is Daniel Millman? Well, I, I think people tend to have skewed views of themselves. So let me throw that back at you. You tell me who is Daniel Millman? Oh, man, I would say Daniel Millman to me is a mentor. Daniel Millman to me is a friend. Daniel Millman is an authority in all things real estate, and uh, specifically in finance, in fund management, um, just someone that I look up to, someone that I, I really value. I value our relationship. So I guess, likewise, the, likewise, yeah, likewise, thank yeah. you. I appreciate that. So that's, that's how I'd answer that question. I mean, do you have anything you want to add? I mean, you know, Daniel Millman, at least for these purposes, is a guy who loves to make good investments and uh, make money for his clients and um, loves analysis, data. That's Daniel Millman to me. Awesome. Okay, yeah, I, I, I think that's really accurate. So I want to know a little bit about Noble Stone Capital, what it is, why you started it, and what it's like to be, uh, to be on top. So, you know, I worked for a good bunch of years at a, at a large investment bank, um, and I'm very grateful for that experience. I learned a lot. I, I was able to uh, get exposure to a lot of great people who have been in the business for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like, you know, they had 16,000 or some odd employees managing client assets. And just by nature of that, they had to be run a tight ship, right? Because unfortunately, not all of the 16,000 people are the same level of sophistication or unfortunately, sometimes even integrity, although it's usually more a sophistication issue. Um, so, so they're kind of tight. But so I felt a little bit, you know, restricted from my clients and for myself. My, my philosophy is that the same way that I invest for myself, I want to be able to invest for my clients. Um, and I also wanted to be able to have a customized approach, not just for, for us as, as, as investment managers, but for clients as well. And I felt that the medium of you know, a boutique firm was more appropriate avenue for that. So that's why we started it. Um, you know, we do a wide range of investment management, particularly focusing on alternatives, uh, real estate in particular. Okay. Uh, we're, we're incubating a hedge fund right now as well. All these things that I, that I love to do myself. Um, and we look for uh, special opportunities in markets, inefficiencies, let's say, to exploit, um, to make excess returns. So just to give you an example of what that means in real estate, so real estate has something called an illiquidity premium. right? Mm-hmm. By nature of the fact that real estate uh, it's hard to, to, to transact, it's hard to buy and sell, and each asset is different. So there, it's, it's a very inefficiently priced market, and if you, were, if you delve deeply into it, you can, you can find good deals and make excess returns. So that's the type of thing that we're looking to do. Um, as you know, we have a, a real estate opportunities fund, um, which is close to new investors, but um, you know, it's been a great ride so far. Uh, I think that our, our investors are very happy, and we're very happy as well. 
Excellent. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that you brought up some really great points, the illiquidity premiums that people are able to capitalize, capitalize on because of the inefficiencies in, in certain aspects of the real estate market are huge. Um, I definitely agree with you. I mean, I, I have a background, as you know, working for a large corporation, one of the largest in the world. I recall. Yeah. And um, I couldn't agree more with you. Now, I, I want to touch on something you mentioned, uh, kind of two parts of it. You mentioned about this, oper- this, this fund that you have. And uh, you mentioned about some of these inefficiencies. So I'm going to take that in reverse order, actually. I often quote you. You should know this. I tell people. I'm honored, Dan. (laughs) Listen, you should be. I tell people that one of the greatest drivers of market inefficiencies is fear. And you taught me that a long time ago. And I feel that in today's market, there's a lot of fear-driven decision-making, a lot of fear-driven patterns that are going on. And um, I just wanted to, to, to kind of get your take on, on today's real estate market. What do you make of what's going on? And if you had to give someone one snippet of advice, what would you tell them if they're a real estate investor today in, in the end of 2020? <clears throat> I mean, I'm going to say something very general. I think that going forward, real estate is, if not the asset class to be in, it's certainly one of the asset classes to be in because monetary policy is, is so loose right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not changing anytime soon, right? I don't know if there's going to be a lot of inflation, but there's certainly a good chance of there being a lot of inflation. Now, if there's a lot of inflation, where do you want to be, right? You could be in gold or, or precious metals, you know, something like that. that's fine, but that doesn't produce anything. You could be in, you know, tips and uh, treasury inflation protected securities, but they yield a, a pretty low yield. Real estate is is an asset class that you can make money that's going to that's going with the with the wave with the wave of loose monetary policy low interest rates is so supportive of price growth yes um, and, and inflation would be as well so I'm a I, I, t- to me real estate is the number one asset class to be in right now okay excellent and can you go any speci- any more specific I mean I know myself personally right now I'm long hospitality in about three months I believe there's a bloodbath that's about to start in multifamily uh, in terms of opportunities for investors like yourself myself and our clients do you want to tell us a little bit more about uh, maybe some some specific real estate investing advice um, you know it's important that I keep it uh, not too specific okay you, you know you know that I'm I'm primarily a residential guy and and, and particularly now you know there's I think I think there's a lot of risk in commercial I think that um, the changes from the pandemic, a lot of it will be reversed, you know, going through time. But I think that a lot of it is structural as well. So I think the work from home phenomenon is not going to be as strong in, let's say, 2023 that it is now. But it'll be more than it was in 2019. Yes. And I think that affects um, commercial valuations, for example. Whereas residential, if anything, it spreads out um, the access- accessibility of different metro areas, right? Because if I can now work for a firm in New York or LA, but I can live in, right. let's say, Detroit, um, so that makes Detroit relatively more attractive than it was before. Absolutely. And we, we talk a lot about what we call, what I deem, uh, suburban sprawl. And that's definitely something that's going on today for a variety of reasons. Now, you touched on Detroit, which is perfect, because that was going to be the second part of my question. <clears throat> All right. So we're both Detroiters. I'm a native Detroiter. You're kind of like a Detroit transplant, right? And you could call me a carpetbagger. A carpetbagger. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've got a Detroit native and a Detroit carpetbagger. I'm, I'm, at heart, I'm a New Yorker. I'm not going to lie. We can still be friends. Okay. So talk to me about Detroit. I mean, I love Detroit. I think Detroit is, is one of the greatest cities in the country, if not the world. And the opportunity for, uh, from a real estate investment perspective is phenomenal. Um, I want to hear your take. Tell us about your thoughts on the city of Detroit. I mean, I think Detroit has been a great comeback story the past decade. Um, I, I feel that that's continuing and will continue. 
Um, you know, just from a regional perspective, what, what I've told investors and what I believe in strongly is that uh, the coasts, you know, California, New York, D.C., et cetera, are, have been priced up very high. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's, it's just hard to make money where there's been an opportunity. And, and I said this, I think it's, it's all the more true now, but I said this in 2019 before the pandemic as well, before the, the, the coastal markets got hit harder than, than ours did. Um, I just think there's a tremendous investing opportunity. And I think that as, um, you know, again, I don't want to be too specific, but as I see money coming in from other places, I think that that's, as, as the attractiveness of the Detroit market becomes more known to outside investors, that's going to raise prices. So not only are we getting great, great cap rates and great cash flow, which which is I'm all about that, but I think that we're seeing I'm seeing price growth and Absolutely. I expect to see it to continue. Yeah, I mean I myself personally I couldn't agree with you more on those points, especially the latter. I mean years ago when we first started investing in the city of Detroit, we were buying things for probably about thirty cents on the dollar uh, when you're looking pound for pound, same type of asset, same neighborhood, as what we can get them for today. And that's a few short years of appreciation. We're talking on, this is, these are vacant assets. These are not income-producing properties. These are the ideal product that you take, renovate, tenant, and then sell to an investor or put into a package. And we've seen incredible price appreciation just over the last three years. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think I wouldn't expect anything near like what we've seen in the last three, five, ten years going forward. I think, I think that's an unreasonable expectation. But um, the fundamentals as far as I see them, you know, one of the things I've learned over time, one, one of one of the big lessons I've learned over time is buy good cash flow. Yes. Um, and so, so you know, when I started real estate investing, I was like, I don't want to invest in some speculative, uh, you know, we're going to invest in some deal because we expect the price to go up. How do you know the price is going to go up? All th- sorts of things can happen. Whereas if you buy something tangible, I have a high cap rate. I have high cash flow for the money that I'm putting in. So not only will I make that high cash flow, my belief is that when other people realize you're making high cash flow, they'll pay you more for that cash flow. Oh, absolutely. And, 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 and really, that's been validated, you know, certainly over the last decade where um, cap rates have compressed and, and we're still making good money, but we've also been able to sell older assets as a significant profit. Again, I can't tell you that I think that the same appreciation will occur, but I think that the same theory applies that if you buy high cash flow presumably eventually somebody's going to realize that that's high cash flow and they'll pay you more for that cash flow Mm -hmm. and on that note i know you're not a profit at least i don't think so not as far as i know (laughs) where do you see cap rates headed uh in the multifamily space in general and specifically in our market here in uh in metro detroit well I think that, um, again, loose monetary policy and low interest rates uh, support cap rate compression and, you know, cap rates moving down. Because as you have more easy money, you have more people with money chasing those same assets, they're going to bid them up higher. But that's not really going to affect the rental market. So rents are going to, rents should stay similar. Or or go up even. Maybe, but but that's not affected the same way. By loose monetary policy, not it's not nearly as sensitive to it. I mean, you got to understand though that loose monetary policy may even have a spillover into the fact that the government is handing out money to help with rental assistance. That's true. Um, all I'll say is that the sensitivity of rents to things like interest rates compared to the sensitivity of prices is not nearly as much. So the result of that is that rents may go up, but not nearly as much as I believe that prices can go up. And that means that cap rates will compress and cash on cash returns will be lower. Now, if you're an owner now, that's great because your mm-hmm. assets are going to 
are going to go up in value. But that's that's exactly one of the reasons that I believe now's a good time to get in. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I'd like to also piggyback on that. What advice do you have, or what what are your thoughts and feelings about the current interest rate environment as it pertains to investors? Uh, maybe kind of go along the route of, of of explaining why this is, for so many reasons, the opportunity of a lifetime to invest. I think that real estate as an asset class in general has special structural advantages um, when it comes to financing terms. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can buy stock on margin, um, but the terms that you get, like, you know, that's going to be a floating rate type of margin, and you're gonna have, you could have potentially have margin calls, et cetera. There are all sorts of other, I guess, unfavorable terms attached to that financing. Whereas real estate, you can lock in you know, a 30-year fixed mortgage at a low rate now, you know, close to 3% on, a, on, on, a, on an owner-occupied property or under 4% under, yeah. for, for an investor property. That's amazing because mm-hmm. if you can make, you know, double-digit returns on, on your money and then finance that at 3 or 4%, you can do a lot with that and you, and you can grow. So um, I think that, that uh, if somebody is considering that... Um, you know, obviously, everything's specific to the individual person, and they need to do a lot of thought of what's right and what's not for them. But, but I think in general, that's a great way to go right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's. I believe, in in my humble opinion, I mean, as a broker, this is the most exciting time to be a commercial real estate broker. I think in definitely in my lifetime, and and probably you know even even greater than that. So, um, I'd like to know if you could share with our our viewers some lessons that you've learned throughout your. You know, uh, history throughout your experiences as a real estate investor. Yeah, I mentioned I mentioned buying good cash flow, and that's that's a big one. Another thing I'll say is, um, you know, I used to think ten years ago, I used to think that that markets were much more efficient than than they actually are, particularly real estate. So I figured, you know, I'm like a rational, logical guy. So mm-hmm. most buyers and sellers are also going to be rational and logical, and uh, and they're going to make decisions that way. But what I found, particularly in real estate, is that. Um, Decisions can be extremely emotional, and um, there's a lot of psychology that goes into negotiating and putting together a deal. There's a lot of psychology to timing, um, and it's just not nearly as efficient as I once believed it was, and, and, and that might be the, the biggest lesson that I've learned throughout my investing career. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. Any stories that you have? I mean, I can think of probably half a dozen stories even that you and I have, have experienced together over the last half or three quarters of a decade. I want to hear from your perspective. Any, any great stories, not even necessarily that we've participated in together, but just that, that you've had that you want to share? I got a lot of stories. What kind of story, Dan? <laughs> I want to hear a story, that uh, a happy ending business story, where uh, you know maybe tell, tell us something, that a deal that was going one way and maybe there was a little twist in it or, or something that you stepped in and brought in. You know, you're an excellent negotiator, so maybe you brought in a certain negotiation tactic. Uh, to kind of close it and seal it and, and keep Dan on top. Well, well, Dan, I'm not going to give away the secret sauce, so <laughs> I'm not going to tell you about my negotiating tactics. But um, you know, we've had, I've had, you know, and particularly recently, we did a deal on uh, on a commercial building in uh, in early 2019, um, and it was it was going okay, mm-hmm. but there were some unexpected. Uh, maintenance issues let's say that were going to cost money and like it it put a strain on the deal let's call it right um and not that it was going to blow up but it just it, it, it there was a good chance that that would that would uh cause the deal to underperform and and I'll tell you 
I am not about underperformance. No, no I, you are I, not. I really he try not, not to not to underperform. I try to underpromise uh, and overperform. So, so I was kind of unhappy about that. Yeah. Um, and we worked uh, our rear ends off to find another buyer to to take that building um, in what made sense for him. You know, he was gonna he was gonna occupy part of this space, um, make money. It worked for him. It worked for us. We negotiated a good deal. And um, and it's really a happy ending. I think it's a happy ending for him. He's actually looking to finance out of it right now, and um, and 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 it, we actually increased our returns through this through this deal than than what they had been before. So, um, you know, I think that was a good story with a happy ending. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna keep the negotiation tactics to myself. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold it close. Oh, to the best all right. Maybe next time you'll give us some more teasers. All right. Well, hey, listen. I want to tell you I appreciate you so much for coming on here. We've got about a minute and a half left here. Uh, I really appreciate that. This is actually, I don't know if you're aware, this is actually our first episode. And uh, I appreciate you being here. I couldn't think of a better guest to join me in. in I, I hope I didn't set the bar too high for your future guests. Oh, oh, I don't know. We've got a former Lions uh, football player that's going to be on here in about 20 minutes. So, uh, you know, the bar is high, different types of bars. This guy's about 6'7". Bring, six, it, on. Seven, Bring so, it on, man. You know. Yeah, anyway, thank you again, Daniel. I really appreciate you being here for Dan on Top of All Things Commercial Real Estate. Um, if there's anything you want to close with, I don't know if you had a quick question from you. We've got about 40 seconds left. I mean, one question I have is, is which Dan is actually on top? Oh, I don't know. I mean, uh, I know, but I would say, listen, that's how I want to close. The answer is that there, there, there's no Dan on top because we work together, we collaborate, and when we're a team, everybody wins. So I, I hope you believe that every interaction we've had has been a win-win-win, and that's why we continue to do business together. So I want to let everybody else know abundance is where it's at in real estate. Dan's on top, but you can be on top too. Thank you very much for having me, Dan. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks for your time, man. Great to see you. You too. Yeah, awesome.